Hey everyone, this is Christopher Hart from ESPN's Whiskey Neat. Pour a dram, settle in. This is the Cast Chasers Podcast. What's up, Cast Chasers? Uh, so, podcasters, we like to hang out. Um, people in entertainment, we like to hang out. But I like to interview people in my world, media, and whiskey media specifically. And it's kind of neat when you get to connect with somebody like that, especially somebody you kind of look up to. So I'll nerd out a little bit. Um, he's never going to tell you that uh, that he's never going to acknowledge his place in life, but I will for him. I'll make him feel weird about it and uncomfortable. Uh, my friend, my new friend, and my online friend, Christopher Hart, is joining us in the studio today. Oh, he's zooming in, but, you know, technology, thank God. Uh, Christopher, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, you know, I've been following you for a while, and especially, um, I'd say, man, the last couple of years, you guys seem to have been just really just, through the roof so I'm, I'm glad to be here thanks man yeah a lot of work uh but i appreciate that but yeah we uh i think the re- I, it's funny because i reached out to you probably at the beginning i don't even know if you remember this and i was like how do you get these guests on you get on and you were like you know i work with an you know an affiliate blah 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 but you were basically like you gotta grow man they gotta see you and something I don't remember this. yeah I, yeah i do <laughs> trust me but it was in passing for you but you basically you were like you gotta get your numbers up you know you gotta for to get the better guest to get with the bigger guest you gotta really and then you kind of went on to say um something about you gotta be ex- uh, you know kind of accepted or um i think the terminology was um credibility in this industry and it was a small this was a long time ago so I probably still have the screenshot so I can show it to you if you don't believe me, but it's there. I should post it and have the it. Fact, I sh- the I sh- fact that you took a screenshot makes me think I might have come off as a dick. <laughs> no, you weren't. You were you were very open. You were just, but I was like a new up and coming and, you know, I was reaching out to people like, you know, Mark Gillespie and you and just people I saw in the industry that I really respected and I wanted to get there. And I took that to heart and I took it and I was like, okay, well, that's what I got to do. So... We, I put, mean, this, sorry, go ahead. No, no. We, so we put together, a, a, a you know, some core values of, you know, we would never do's and, you know, we stuck true to our game to stay credible and that's kind of what we did. And I, I've, I've literally always gone back to that conversation, which I've told people before to you, it was in passing to me, it was heavy. So you never know who you're talking to. And I just, I took that and I took, it was very positive for me and it really did something for me. I should have it put on a pillow. Right. It's like stitch, but <laughs> well, now I'm eager to see. I'm e- I'm eager to reread it myself because I don't recall it. Uh, the I mean, listen. If I'm being honest, when we started, we were not on ESPN Houston. We were on a, a sports map, which was essentially nothing. It might as well just be a podcast. And I think when it started, we we were snowballing guests. Meaning we would, I think the first one we got on was a WWE wrestler named Matt Raywalt, who's actually a huge bourbon guy. He has his own channels. Uh, I think his IG handle, I mean, has like 300,000 followers. Uh, Drama King Matt 
but he got into whiskey based in Chicago. He actually, if you're a wrestling fan, he married Eddie Guerrero's daughter. I mean, Eddie Guerrero was a, was a legend in wrestling. So we, we got him on and then we got TJ Miller on, which was huge. And then it became, as we approached celebrities, we would kind of mention uh, who we've had on. And then we got sucked in when sports map went away, we got sucked in and we were, we, you know, not everything transferred over to ESPN. They actually, we had some decent numbers and they liked our guests. So they, we got the show put on ESPN here in Houston. And then again, if I'm being honest, I think uh, the hardest part of getting anyone on is the gatekeepers. So you have to say something that'll get their attention. And I think who has been on already as well as the fact that we're on ESPN, I think was very helpful. It might've been unfairly helpful because I don't consider myself, you know, I'm not Sean Evans. I'm not the, an incredible interviewer. I just, to me, a big part of this experience is just getting to talk to some cool people and uh, kind of breaking down that barrier. And usually you put a few drinks in someone, you can get to the, the, the human in them. Sam Hewen was one of those people where he's extremely personable um and then it just it just grew i mean i i I, matthew mcconaughey was huge for us william h macy was huge for us brian cranston yeah i saw a week was was stupid but i you know and right after that melissa mccarthy's people reached out and i i don't i uh i think we may do it we may not do it i'm not we gotta line some things up but yeah it just snowballed, man. I just, it, it just, it kind of grew. So I, I, I hope what I said to you was kind and not at all. Oh no, it sometimes, was, it was kind. I yeah. Think, yeah. Sometimes I think people might, you know, if you're, if you're quickly answering somebody, it may come off a certain way. And I just, I want to make sure that I'm mindful well, of being kind and supportive. I, I like where this is going. And I thought we would, I, I figured it would kind of go this direction a little bit. And I was thinking, okay, I want to talk about gregarious. I want to get into the goat herder, which we can get into. And we'll talk whiskey, but, I, and I knew we would touch on this, but I kind of like we're going down this route, this, this route, um, because there's an insider piece to this. Cause I get asked a lot to come on recently. I've been asked to come on podcast, which is in itself kind of neat. It's just like this moment where like, you want me to come on your show? How do you know who I am? You know, it's really cool. Um, but there's this part of this that is very humbling, and that is the reaching out to people. You know, I've been told no or, you know, people have like, man, I really want that person on the show. And I remember one of my, I'm a big, uh, a big fan of, um, of, um, I can't remember his name because I'm not that big of a fan. I'm a big fan of Alton Brown from Good Eats. And, you know, what we try to do is we try to say, I love the celebrity interview. I love the, you know, people in, you know, your style of interviewing or, you know, like hot ones kind of thing. I kind of put them in the same, you know, category. He's a great interviewer. Um, but, um, with us, I, we really have to be whiskey related. And sometimes I find myself skirting the line and saying, well, this guy talked, said the word whiskey once. So I try to find this guy. So Alton Brown did a show where he used bourbon to, you know, as a co- and he had a cocktail episode. I'm a really huge fan. He was in my area, Wilmington, Delaware, doing a show. I went, you know, I have an autographed poster, got his book, all that. I reached out to his people 
And, you know, it was one of those, hey, Cash Chasers podcast, he's in the area, we're really connected with the theater you're in, love to have, you know, your time, blah, blah, blah. And the response was, you know, he doesn't feel like he's comfortable enough having a conversation about whiskey. Like he didn't, something along the lines of, he doesn't feel like that's his scope. It was really kind, but it was like, at the, I like went through this thing where I was like, kind of bullshit. You know what I mean? I was, I kind of got mad. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. Let me, let me, <laughs> let me, let me interrupt you here. So yeah. here's the thing. There, there is, um, okay. I'm not going to say who, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, wait, first of all, are we allowed to cuss on this? Is this good? Oh, you, said um, you can, okay. you can fucking cuss as much as you fucking want. Just, you know, wait, just remember wait. there are fucking kids listening. So I, I think a couple things. I think, uh, you know, actors, celebrities that will do these shows, uh, I think the last thing they want to do, they have a brand to protect. Yeah. Right. So yeah, Bert, yeah. Bert Kreischer's brand is drinking. Um, you know, Ian Summerholder, Paul Wesley's brand is Vampire Diaries. Like they're these sexy, kind, earth conscious, like there's a brand to protect. And the last thing you want them to do, especially if they represent a spirit, is to come off sounding stupid. So a lot of times I've had some of these uh, these people's people, their, their agents or their uh, gatekeepers, you know, ask for a script. And I said, no, 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 we're not doing a script. Uh, if, if I ask you something that makes you uncomfortable, we'll cut it out. You, you, we can, I'm, not, I'm not here to get you. But I want to have a real conversation. And so I do the problem, what you just went through, I've had with some of my, not my white whales, but my secret wants. Uh, one, one of them was Doug Jones. I am a, I am a massive Doug Jones fan. And if you don't know who Doug Jones is, you do, but you don't realize, you know, you know, who he is, he's played every monster creature in ever. He was in Hellboy. He was in the Pan's Labyrinth. He was in uh, Star Trek, the new Star Trek discovery. Uh, he was in Hocus Pocus. He's this, he's 60 years old. He's an incredible tall lanky skinny guy that plays all he was in the shape of water i was about to say yeah yeah the like most recently he is a creature monster guy to to his core and i'm just a massive fan of his and so i reached out to his people and i said look i'm with espn which has been hurtful just as much as it's been supportive because although the show's on espn i don't know shit about sports uh i mean i play fantasy but i i'm I, I don't know shit about sports, if I'm being honest. And I tell them that. So the pitch that we would send these people throughout the years has slowly changed depending on who we're talking to. Like, I have asked a lot of women to be on my show, but a lot of women won't do the show. You say ESPN, you look at me, you think, oh, this is just a guy's thing. Like, I asked Betty White to do the show. I would love, before Betty White's passing, obviously, not, not after but but I asked her to do the show because I thought having a drink with her would just be you could end stunning. it you could you could stop your career be do- you're done why yeah there's a running joke on my show because a few people have died like my show has been the last interview for a few people um, Whistlepig uh, 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 Dave Pickerel the last interview he did was my show uh, Jonathan Witherspoon uh, who you know John Witherspoon is incredible he's one of the funniest comedians of all time. You've seen him for the last four decades uh, from everything from the Wayne's brothers to 
I mean, he, dude's been in everything. Every Eddie Murphy from the 80s and 90s Eddie Murphy movie. Um, but John Witherspoon, last show he did was my show. But the when I approached Doug Jones' people, they came back and said, uh, Doug doesn't really care for sports. He's not much of a drinker. We don't think it's a good fit. And I'm like, it was heartbreaking because the, because the, you, and here's the thing, as much as sports has been off-putting, drinking has been off-putting. So we had to tweak our pitch to some people. And one of the things I had to learn was to Google them to see if they're sober. Because if you ask someone who's absolutely legendary that you would love to sit down with, and it turns out that they don't drink anymore, then you, it sounds like a, it's an automatic no. But if you preface the message that it's a, it's a show, it's an interview show on ESPN, usually around drinks, though not necessary. Um, I drink no matter what, but they, they don't drink. That's interesting. Um, you, it's interesting you say that. I had a, I got really connected. You brought up Dave Pickerel. I won't say the name of the band. There's enough connection there if you know your if you know your whiskey. But I had yeah. their newest guy of this certain whiskey on the show. Um, good friend of his, love him to death. Um, but this band wouldn't do an interview about their whiskey or cigars because certain members of the band struggled with drinking and they were worried about that conversation coming up. Um, so sometimes it's like. Because I don't have a script, it's like we don't know where you're going to go, and we're worried about it. Because I don't script, and I think that's it's it's. I think it's I get it sometimes, but I do. You get a little butt hurt, you know what I mean? Like um, most recently, I reached out to um, the whiskey ginger, who you, I think you've connected with, um, comedian. And he's a buddy. Yeah, yeah, Andrew's good. good. Yeah, really, good really wanted him on the show. Huge Theo Vaughn fan, but I mean, never getting that guy because he's like the next Joe Rogan of podcast and everything. But I'm a huge fan of his. He's it's, also sober. Yeah, he is sober. And he talks. Yeah, so there you go. So I was like, man, I'd love to have a comedian on the show. I was like, I know what I'm doing at this point. I've had, you know, I had, I've had a few celebrities on. Let me reach out. And it is, I got a hold of his person. And there's always this feeling where it was like, yeah, let me get back to you. I was like, oh my God, we're, I got, I got the hook in the whale. And then it came back. He's going to have to pass at this time. And it's like that was kind of earth shattering. But at the same time, it's like this guy's busy. I mean, honestly, yeah. who am I? I don't, you know, I mean, and I, so you do have to have this level of humility. And then, but then I've been there where I've had people reach out to come on my show. And I'm like, I don't know you you know what i mean i don't know your whiskey i don't know your thing i'm gonna have to pass it this time so i've been my people rather we've been that asshole i feel like is you know what i mean you know like i could have re when i reached out to you hey dude i'm a huge fan come on the show uh not gonna happen don't know who yeah. you are you know what i mean it was a little you know sometimes it sometimes it does happen uh, my schedule right now is crazy i i i travel weekly uh four to five days a week uh if i'm lucky and uh, it does make it difficult to pull off, but uh, you reached out and you gave me like, I think three or four weeks notice. So it was like easy to plan yeah. further out. Uh, Andrew Santino, I, I'll say this and this, uh, I would consider him not a close friend, but a good buddy. Yeah. Uh, I, and he has never done my show. <laughs> yeah. Which is fine. Uh, he, and that's another thing too. I'll never reach out to somebody else for one of their guests. I've had that happen to me where people have reached oh, out sure. like, Hey, you got so-and-so can you hook? I don't feel comfortable. And I hope people are listening. It's not a disrespect. 
and I'm not trying for those that listen and that have reached out. It's not me being an ass. I don't feel like that's my place. I'm looking something up real quick while you talk, because I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, it's just not our place. It's that's it. That's it's not my place to hook you up with whoever. And, and, and then I've had, well, you know, I get, you've done all the work and it's my turn to do all. It's not about that. It's about, it's not my place. It's not my place to give you somebody that I've had on the show. Um, yeah. So was it Sam Hewen? Sam Hewen. Yeah. 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 So that happens. Uh, it happens a lot, a lot of, especially the weirdest thing that happened with Sam Hewen is I, I adopted a stalker from mm-hmm. Sam Hewen. Um, I bet we have the same, I bet off the air we'll talk. I bet we have the same person. It's aggressive. Right. I just realized I'm definitely not going to say her name. Uh, it starts with a T though. Uh, so her, so after Sam did my show, um, first off, I got some compliments, red beard. He's a, you know, uh, I, I'm Scottish, Irish heritage, uh, mostly Norwegian. He's obviously Scottish. Uh, I got a couple of compliments, which I was, you know, kind of ego boosting. My wife made jokes about some of the housewives making comments. Uh, but there was a couple of people who would, uh, send very, very late in the night DMs that were not appropriate and then delete them. And then I just, I just kept ignoring it. I left them my message, my spam box. And, they would, and then I remember this one day I was cleaning out my inbox and I looked and there was literally like 42 sent and deleted messages all after midnight. And I got a little nervous. Yeah. So I just, I blocked her and she, she, I blocked her no less than a dozen times and she's created new IG accounts each time. And what she'll do is she'll take my personal photos and share them to her page. And yes. I, same I, it's person. Been ve- it's been very unnerving. Yeah. Same person. Um, and because I have no idea how far these people would go, but there was another woman who reached out. She actually called this, the radio station ESPN and she got a hold of my contact information. Some freaking idiot from the station gave that her my phone number. <laughs> it was me. And she was, yeah. And she was wanting to get a hold of Sam and, and uh, it was a business opportunity. And I went to Sam's guy, Alex and, and Alex was like, no, listen, man, uh, I, you're a very nice guy, but I'm telling you right now, you have no idea how crazy some of these people are. Wow. They so are, it's, they are it's been very unnerving. Shit. Yeah. It's another level, man. I, you know, I'm thankful for, I, I like Sam a lot and he's very, the thing about Sam, he's very open to chat with you. You know, if I tag him in something, he'll comment. And I'm like, okay, you know, you're, that's, that's rad. I mean, I get it, but he's very open and everything, but he's also very private in a lot of ways. And he really cares about this whiskey, which is something I respect in a whiskey maker, especially a, a celebrity whiskey maker. Um, but I found myself with a fan base that was Outlander fans or Sam Hewen fans, but a lot of them are whiskey now are be are curious. They watch my cocktail episodes. They listen to you know my uh, a spike in my listenership, a big spike in my listenership, but on all episodes, not just the Sam episode. So I respect that. But there's a small or awkward group of people that are very. I'm going to say it's sociopathic a little bit and it's creepy. And I'll tell you, I had my one of my, one of my white whales and a heroes was Mike Rowe getting him in person and having them reach out to us on top of that. That's kind of like my, 
I think we might have made it, guys, moment. Um, that was awesome. But even he has stalkers. Like, he has women that he his people were like, you know, we're going to do it. Don't share where we're at because this one woman will show up here. And I was like, yeah. what? And I want that so badly. I want I want somebody that's threatening my life. That's what, Christopher, that's how you know, Chris, that's how you know you made it. <laughs> that's how you know <clears throat> that's how you know you've made it when you're when your wife is getting a call saying someone just said she's going to cut my head off if i don't leave you or at least give you a yeah. piece of her. that's you don't you haven't made it until you've gotten there but anyway so we digressed a little bit yeah no it's it's fun it's a fun game and it's a it's really fun to talk to good people but i love when and i i don't want to put myself on the same pedestal that you are because I, and you're not going to do this for yourself because you're you're a humble guy and I hate it about you. It's, dude, you're killing it's just it. It's a podcast, dude. Yeah, it's but you're ki- you're fucking killing it. Stop. But I'm I'm am just a couple years preceding you. That it's just a sure. timeline yeah. thing. It's like it's it, you know give give it a couple years. Well, and keep until Elon buys, like- until Elon Musk buys podcasts and it's gone. Um, so right. we don't know. It's something else. I got to go do something else. You know. Actually, kn- knowing him, if he buys podcasts, they they probably explode again mm-hmm. uh he, he tends to touch things and turn it to gold yeah um, right regardless of regardless of how you feel about him personally the guy has an, an effect it's a oh i'm interesting a, one to no, no, no. i'm a huge elon musk fan but i'm a huge i'm an elon musk fan like i'm a harley quinn fan i i don't see her as the villain or the good guy I'm just, it's just pure chaos. And sometimes good stuff happens. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's kind of, he's a rogue agent. I love that about him. But uh, no, but you, you have this, but I, but we are both in this world, this media world. And we have, we have these side corner opinions about things. And one of the things I want, I've been, I'm glad we kind of got into the celebrity conversation. It's more of your thing than it is mine. I try to have as many as I can on if they're whiskey related, but you're also a whiskey guy. I don't want to take away from that. Celebrity whiskeys. What is with this? I get it with shoes. You know, there's a celebrity shoe thing. You know, there's a celebrity. Celebrities really got like to get involved with a thing. You know, they like to attach themselves to a brand. But whiskey seems to be. It's 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 interesting to me. It's it's a very strange. You know, vodka can be sexy. Okay, wine. I get that. But whiskey, it's like the blue collar man's drink. But yet, there's a celebrity movement right now that's happening. You're, you're, he's, he's doing, he's fixing his, he's tightening his gloves. He's ready to, he's ready for the belt. No, I, I spilled, I, I spilled my oh. water while you were talking. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I, I disagree. Ooh, I disagree. Like that. Uh, I, but, but it's, I think it's more of a, you know, the whole correlation causation thing. So, um, that's like, to me, it's like saying, what's with all of these podcasts having advertisers? Like what's mm. with this trend? Well, you you've got to pay the bills. Mm. So so this podcast every, is brought to you by Impex Beverage, um, which by the way is surprising. I've worked with Impex for years; they've never sponsored my show. <laughs> so so touche. Uh, you know how lucky I am. Oh, you are so lucky. I know being married to you—that's number one, right? That's no joke, babe. It's no joke, and and I'm going to tell you why. Aside from being married to you. My two favorite independent bottlers mm-hmm. happen to be in the Impex portfolio. What luck. I know. We've got Adelphi Selections. Yeah. Bottlers started in 1993, I want to say. Okay. And Single Malts of Scotland. Yeah. 
who those casts are selected by my good friend, Ollie Chilton. I know Ollie. You know Ollie. Yeah. Yeah, he came to drink with us. Uh-huh. So back to the idea of drinking off the beaten path. Oh, this again. If you are looking for a wide array of flavors, going after independently bottled whiskey is where it's at because their idea is never to repeat a flavor. Never? Never to repeat a flavor. Well. Always bottle something new, always something different, and more importantly, always something delicious mm-hmm. and something that won't steal all of your wallet. Okay. That's I like that part. You like that. I knew you'd yeah. like that part. So listen, Haida, I have to tell you, and I have to tell our listeners here, Impex Beverages. Yes. Proud sponsor of Cast Chasers Podcast. Excellent. They, um, so, so essentially every, you know, every comedian sells merch, right? Shirts, you know, every podcast sells merch. It's, it's kind of a par for the course thing. Uh, you know, some people do energy drinks, some people do coffee, some people do, it's just, it's a, it's a particular avenue, but to be honest with you, there are some, somewhere around six to 800 new tequilas that come out every year with two to 300 of, of, of previous ones that came out, go out of business. So tequila is more saturated. So celebrity tequila is more saturated than anything. Um, whiskey, it, it, it is, we notice it's common because we are in the whiskey space, but it's, it's actually not that common. And traditionally those who have done it have largely fucked it up. That's the thing. That's what I'm getting at with the celebrity whiskey thing. It's the ROI cannot be, I mean, the ROI with a whiskey maker who's seriously a whiskey maker. I mean, if you're, you know, your, your blue run or Penelope, uh, I'm, I'm picking two that are doing really good in the space right now. You know, you talk to Mike from Penelope it's it's pulling teeth. I mean, he he. Luckily, he's in a place now. Australia, I think, made him all his money. Um, they love him there. But um, but it took effort. It's it's a hard space to exist in, and there's so much. It's not like beer, craft beer, where you can have a billion brands and you're going to make it. You know, whiskey is so saturated. I mean, God, there's a hundred different. T- I mean, I have four hundred bottles, and they're not even doubles. Then you're a celebrity. You're going to put your name on some. It's not Nike. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not, um, you know, Mila Kunis and you're, you're doing kind of a, you know, Jim Beam thing. You're really trying to make your own whiskey. And, and I love that. And I've tasted some and I've been like, man, you are making it like Sam Hewen's whiskey's really good. Now he's not making it. He's just partnering with the right people, but he gives a shit. But then there's some of these spirits that people connect with. And I'm like the ROI, it, it can't be there. It just can't be there. You cannot be what making. What do you mean? Like the money, I just maybe I'm not an economist, but I just feel like is it worth your time to put your name to to white label a bottle? Is it really yeah. give you think? I don't know. I'm asking more than I'm, no, t- no, but it doesn't it seem like it is from my point of view. Well, so I think it comes from again you being attuned to a certain set of the market, whereas other people, the average consumer, like for instance, let's, let's talk Ian Summerholder and Paul Wesley. Uh, both very nice guys. They came out with an 80 proof whiskey for 40 bucks. Um, they also put millions of dollars in infrastructure, building out a team, a national team a multiple state region team. Uh, you know, that's not, they, I think they sold 65,000 cases their first year. They probably, I would be willing to bet probably made 
five bucks a bottle. Uh, I'm sorry, profit per bottle was probably around five bucks a bottle. So if it's if it's on the shelf for forty, then they've got to sell to a distributor for twenty. It probably cost them twelve to fifteen bucks to produce, and then they split the the rent, the profit of five bucks. And I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing, giving you some some soft round numbers here. Um, but now do the math. Five dollars. We'll do sixty-five thousand cases times six, times five bucks a bottle. There, I did talk to Ian and Paul, and they said they have given this brand their heart and soul for the past couple of years. They're not, they're they're not making money yet. It's it's putting a ton of money behind it to force it into the culture, to make it relevant, to get it on the shelf, to see it everywhere. That takes time, but eventually that's how uh, George Clooney sold his tequila and made over a billion dollars. That's how Aviation Gin, right? Now, what made what made people know Aviation Gin were the hilarious commercials, but uh, it was appropriately priced, celebrity-backed, and widely available. Now, most, well, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's, there's a long-term plan that is correct. You're not gonna see the ROI for a few years, uh, but once you establish say 45 states, which is lofty, but let's say you establish 45 states and you produce 60,000 cases, and then they come up with the cash strength, which of course they probably make more money per bottle. And someone comes along and wants to buy you out like Aviation Gin, and all of a sudden it's worth $600 million. $600 million is what he sold that for. It was round. That's a round number. It's probably slightly higher. But the now the opposite of that is, a lot of the current celebrity brands that we know, including Micro, and I don't know his whole plan. I know that his whiskey is not widely available. Uh, it's a grassroots campaign. He's putting in 110%. He's doing podcasts. He's doing interviews. He's really trying to build a brand. I'm willing to bet that ROI-wise, in a lot of these cases, not Micro, but a lot of these cases, the distillery will front the costs of launching the brand all they have to do is pitch it and collect a royalty check. Yeah, no. I mean, they get you're right. involved in the in the blending, in the the label design, the tasting. They make sure it's good, but they're not really for the for ROI implies that they had to put something in other than time. So for them, they can pitch it, yeah, and if they can get no, into good point. If they get into, the, good if they point. get into ten states, then they'll collect a few hundred thousand dollars. No, you're good. That's a good point. I never thought of it from that perspective. I mean, really, what do they have to lose? You know. Um, so yeah, it's there. And you know, Mike's whiskey's noble whiskey's really good. The rye is really good. I leaned in and told him, I said, man, you're from Maryland. Uh, rye should be your number. And, um, so Mike, if you're listening, you know, remember I said that I want my cut and you know, if not, you know, there's lawyers. Um, well, I'm, I'm not suing Mike. Clear, I'm not suing Mike. Yeah. Well, and to be clear, I'm not dogging on Mike. I'm I'm uh, applauding mm-hmm, him because mm-hmm. he's putting in he's, he's putting in real effort. Yeah, he is. He does. He cares. There's a legacy there. He's going with the story. We talk about that on the sh- on that episode a little bit. But no, no, that's a good point. And I, 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 you know, I never really looked at it from that angle. And I'm not anti-celebrity whiskey. I'm careful. I guess is the is the term I should use. I'm very careful with it. And I understand there's a difference between celebrity whiskey as, you know, your Matthew McConaughey who backs a brand versus somebody who puts their name on the label and runs with it. And one's a little edgier than the other, but sometimes it, it, it falls flat on its face. But, you know, sometimes it's very good. And, you know, it's it's distillers and makers that are that are that are smart and know what they're doing and creating good whiskeys. 
I've just been to many distilleries and talked to people in the business who have said, you know, and I think, man, you got the coolest job on the planet. And they say, please, God, somebody buy this so I can stop. You know what I mean? So I just know it's a tough business. It's one of those businesses that's to be a millionaire, start with two million. You know what I mean? If you want to, if you yeah. want to make it. But um, so speaking of in the business, Christopher, you found yourself somewhat in the industry. You're not just talking about whiskey. Um, let's segue a little bit into your own spirit connoisseurship, if it is a word. I want to talk about uh, Goat Herder a little bit. I want to talk about gregarious uh, spirits. Um, I want to kind of get your your perspective, point of view, because you do dabble in that side of things. You're not just a pretty face on camera interviewing cool people with the most sultry voice out there. Um, I go to sleep to Christopher's you know, show. I just listen to it on the side. My wife is like, why do we have to do this every night? Because it puts me to sleep. That's why. And in a good way. Um, yeah, about yeah, to say. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That can come across. No, no, it's very soothing. Um, no, um, don't let the red beard fool you. He's uh, he's very um, he's very um, very soft spoken. Very very. It's like jazz. Very sexually attractive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I was trying to get to that without getting to it. So let's talk about yeah, your brands. Let's me talk. In the eyes though. You keep looking away. I want you to look me. There you go. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Well, I'm reading. Yeah. I, it's one of the. I'm reading <laughs> notes and everything. I got I got things happening in the background. So. Uh, we'll make eye contact. I promise. Um, let's talk about you. Let's talk about these these brands. What what are you working on? What are these things? What are you getting at? Let's talk about your whiskey and your you you're partnering with a brand. I don't have it in front of me. I, if I would, I'd be drinking it and hopefully talking it up. Or I'm on an honest guy. I'll tell you if it sucks, but um, not to your yeah. face. Not to your face. Tell, always tell me to my face. So, Never. I, mean, I, I think I think we played it a pretty safe route. I, see, here's the thing about the celebrity whiskey route. Or anybody that wants to source a whiskey. There are so many brands out there that source, but they ruin it. They cut it down 80 proof. They do something stupid to it. They put it in used barrels or something. They, they butcher it. All you really have to do is make sure it looks good and make sure it tastes good. It's really that simple. Make sure it looks good. Make sure it tastes good. We go through, we found a bunch of barrels of uh me and randall sullivan from bourbon real talk great guy good friend of mine we pitched um the idea of starting a brand called the prideful goat with uh gulf coast in houston on some 15 year old liquid from a lot of people are dead set they this is the most annoying part of the bourbon industry everyone's so sure they've got it all figured out uh but our liquid gets accused of being from bean and at the time, actually right now, 15-year-old 100-proof beam. Our, so our first skew was a 15-year-old Kentucky bourbon. Our first uh, product was a 15-year-old Kentucky bourbon. Can't really go wrong there. And uh, we made sure it looked good. We made sure it tastes good. If priced right, no problem. Uh, and people are convinced it's from beam, even though if it was from beam, our product is still cheaper than buying directly from beam. Uh, we actually did taste some liquid from Beam and passed on it only because there was a little bit of a bait and switch issue with the broker. But to to answer your question, we I got into this industry about seven years ago in 2015 with the Houston Whiskey Social. We started a big festival here in Houston. Uh, we started working with brands and distilleries um, all over the world. We 400 different whiskeys, a couple thousand people. It's grown to be the largest event in Texas, and it's a really really fun event. But that led to 
the show on ESPN, and of course, us eventually starting our own products. But the only way we knew how to start our own product is because for the past seven years, we've been consulting with distilleries. Uh, Phillips Distilling uh, is a company that owns Tomat and Single Malt Scott. They own a bunch of other different brands. Uh, Glenfiddich, you know, all of your classic brands, we've worked with through marketing strategies, state rollouts, distributors, because sometimes you work with distributors, sometimes you work directly with the brands. Uh, and of course, the Houston Bourbon Society. The largest single market group in North America is right here in Houston. It's 13,000 people. And we were doing about 55 barrels a year, single barrel picks a year. Wow. So, of course, we're working. We're working I, think with I, I think I'm a member. Yeah. You might be. Yeah. You I've, might be. Because I, I, I say this on every episode, so it's appropriate. It'd be weird if I didn't say it on this episode when I say it on every other episode. I'm from Texas. So I am a nice. Lone Star I I liked you. brother. Um, yeah, Dallas specific. I was born in Parkland Hospital. Oh, well, take it back. Take well, it back. Completely undone. Yeah, but technically I grew up in Waco. And I don't know if you okay. know much about Waco, but nothing ever yes, happened there ever. Um, Never. <laughs> um, if anybody in Waco ever says, hey, you should come to my church, don't. Don't go. Don't. Um, don't. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Because, uh, yeah. Um, no, but... Uh, I'm surprised. I've heard rumor where your whiskey because I've talked to people. We, you know, we we chat in this industry, and I'm like, you know, I'm having Christopher Harlan's show, and you know, he's got this whiskey, and blah blah blah. What do you think? And to people I know, and they're like, oh, I, I've heard that. I heard your stuff came from Balconis, so that was the rumor I got. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I don't know that Balconis since Chip left. I don't think they really give a lot out, and since that whole thing, no, they do. Yeah, they sell a lot. Um, but in fact, the Texas Whiskey Festival which might be where some of that confusion's at. The Texas Whiskey Festival bought some Balconies mm. and did a, uh, a, a bunch of mini, mini bottles, like 375 releases for their event. Uh, but no, so we have um, a 15-year-old bourbon. I'm not supposed to say it's from Heaven Hill, but it, <laughs> but is, it is from Heaven Hill. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, hold on. I think my earbuds are about to die. But uh, our current products are two six years. They're both from MGP, and they say it on the back. Good for you. It's all there. Good for you. So uh, the transparency is all there. Uh, we have a six-year-old rye, six-year-old bourbon, all cast strength. Um and I know a lot of people, it should be priced in line with Sagamore Rye, about mm. 65 bucks. That's appropriate. Take, what you're in. Yeah, it's perfectly reasonably priced, perfectly approachable, no bullshit story, no Thank you. crazy shaped bottle. I mean, it's just, it's just, Thank it's supposed you. to be an affordable cash rent offering. I feel like in the whiskey world, stop me if I'm wrong, that we're getting over the MGP hump where people are weirded out by sourced and it's, it was, God, it was annoying from the gate. First off, I know people, I know distillers at the MGB at MGP. They're amazing. And they, they do, they know what they're doing. Um, but there's this weird and, and Bardstown kind of went through the same thing. Although Bardstown is a little more to the chest about it with, with sourcing whiskey out, but these are great masters and makers creating this stuff. If you know how to, now they'll make you whatever. So if you're a shitty, you know, uh, recipe giver, they're going to give you a shitty, <laughs> they're going to be like, all right, I guess, but uh, they're going to give it to you, but they know what they're doing. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I get so over the whole, well, this came from MGP. It's just another MGP layout. So it's going to taste like everything else from MGP. There couldn't be more bullshit from that statement. Uh, although Christopher looks like he's about to tell me I'm totally wrong. And here we no, go. No, 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 no. Okay. Awesome. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So. 
you're absolutely correct. I think this whole thing came from a misunderstanding. So um, I just realized that most of my head's been cut off. Um, the, the whole thing stems from a misunderstanding. Initially, the issue was sourced whiskey with a bullshit story. About 2013, 2014, there was a big lawsuit involving Templeton Rye mm-hmm. that basically outlined uh, you know, my grandfather's story from pre-prohibition, and it was just sourced from MGP. So what happened was, is you had a side effect in the same way that, that Corona beer sales plummeted during COVID because of coronavirus. Mm-hmm. The same thing happened to sourced whiskeys where there was a misunderstanding in the zeitgeist of people who kind of were learning and kind of getting into the hobby. They thought that the issue was sourced, but it wasn't source. Source was never an issue. In fact, Pappy Van Winkle is sourced. Yeah. Right. Let, hold on, so, real quick, Christopher. Let's yeah. let let's let everyone, because they just they just stood up and they freaked out just now because you said that. Let's every let's give everyone a moment to sit back down and hear what he's about to say. He's absolutely correct. And if you're freaking out right now, first off, stop buying fucking Blantons and Pappy. But anyway, that's a side rant. Go on. I just wanted everybody to take a minute because I knew they were freaking out. I knew the screaming. They turned their volume off. They were, I'll never listen to this podcast again because you said the truth just now. But anyway, go on. Yeah, sourced whiskey is not an issue. The issue, and people think, well, it's rejected whiskey. No, it's not. Actually, what happens is, is distilleries have to be thinking, if I've got a six-year-old product, price will go. We have to be thinking six years in advance. And it is very, very hard to predict what happens tomorrow let alone six years in advance. For instance, a great newsletter that if you really want insider information on is Mark Brown, the head of Sazerac, has a newsletter that he sends out every morning that has a complete, it's a long email. It's like 75 pages long, but it's all of the industry news happening now with all things booze, wine, beer, whiskey. The RTD surge was a lot like the Bitcoin search. Everyone said, oh, by the end of the year, we'll be at $100,000 of Bitcoin. Or by the end of the year, RTDs will be everywhere because of how White Claw was doing and, and you know all the different seltzers. But in reality, our projections, projections are always based on historical data. So you assume that if the past year, we've seen 20% growth each month, and therefore we will continue to see the 20. So you'd say, okay, we've seen 20% growth every year then we need to be laying down in the barrel what that 20% growth looks like six years from now so that we can make sure to meet the demand. But what happens is, is people fluctuate, right? So gin was all the rage in the 90s and then gin fell off in the 2000s. So therefore, anyone's projections about gin at the end of the 90s were wrong, right? Same thing with vodka. Vodka sales became king in the early aughts. In the early aughts, uh, vodka was made popular because of a show called Sex in the City. Uh, and vodka hit this huge surge. Tito's got established. Boom, 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 boom. Well, vodka's seen a drop over the past decade. Guess what replaced it? Whiskey. Whiskey has seen this explosive growth. So well, the Ukraine, is- the, and I'm agreeing with you, the Ukraine situation did not help at all. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So what I, what I mean to say is simply that the projections for whiskey is hard. So what happens is when 
oftentimes all the legacy distilleries end up with extra liquid that they themselves can't sell under their own label. They just have too much. So if they want to build a $5 million rick house, what's the easiest way to do that? To sell available stock, excess available stock to an open market. So we bought a uh, 15 year old liquid. We bought, uh, we bought 286 barrels of the six year old rye to start that should last us two years. Uh, we bought a hundred barrels of the six year old bourbon that we just launched. Uh, we've got to go looking for more. Uh, but I forget how we got on this ramp, but it basically has to do with the fact that it's not source whiskey is not reject whiskey. It's always been a part of the industry. People have always had it. The, the Van Winkle started off as rectifiers. They were sourcing excess whiskey that was just lying around. I don't want to have the, I don't want to do the show anymore. I'm quit. I quit. I quit. If you, if you you Google it on Wikipedia, it'll tell you everything and it'll come with citations too. I know people say, well, Wikipedia doesn't mean shit. Yes, it does. If I could go back 20 years before Pappy Gate, before any of that noise, I can buy an old Rip Van Winkle for, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 bucks easily, 20 bucks, 20 years ago, right? Sure. I think we're in the same time now with rum. I think what I need to be doing is, you know, there's there's great rums out there, very old, very aged, very meticulously made rums that if I'm a betting man and you want to be where where bourbon is now or American whiskey or Scottish whiskey or any of the whiskeys are now, go there. But I also think with whiskey, there's this there's a lot of cool things that are changing too. Australia's coming up. Japan is really making a movement now. I mean, they've been kind of in the game, but yeah, um, they're doing some cool things. Israel, you know, there's a lot of foreign whiskeys that I want to see pop up before the thing dies off, in my opinion. But I think rum's the next thing. And I think, I think surprisingly, rum is going to probably enter that field. And because it's surprising to me that rum has, we've all loved rum. We've all been there. Yeah. But we haven't. I think it's climbing. Yeah. I don't think rum. I don't think bourbon's going anywhere or whiskey's going anywhere for the next twenty years. I think my claim to fame, my favorite interview I've ever done was um, Jim McEwen. I mean, hand, I'm oh, his, Jim McEwen. Yeah, last interview. I was his last interview until he decides, he, you know, he doesn't stop working. Um, and you said before, you know, every every last interview you've done has been their last interview. So yeah, yeah. I, I hope I'm not that. But um, but anyway, it was the last interview. But Jim McEwen really resurrected what we know of scotch whiskey and a scotch whiskey made a resurrection. I hope bourbon can do the same because 10 years from now, I don't know, but regardless, I I digress a little bit. My point I'm trying to make is there's a lot, there's a lot to talk about. It's why I have a show. It's why you have a show. Anyway, um, dude, I could talk to you all day, but I have, I have taken up a lot of your time. Um, you have been absolutely incredible and knowledgeable and this has been as fun as i thought it was going to be um just just thanks so much man i it means the world to me well well i uh, listen i appreciate that i i just want to say though that I, you know i've i've been married a long time and i know that uh i historically i am very bad at trying to explain a very elaborate and nuanced opinion on something without it coming out wrong the first three times i say it so so if anything I said came off the wrong way, I would ask your listeners to allow me a chance to further elaborate. <laughs> no way, man. Trust me. You're, uh, you sounded great. You were, uh, you were on point. My listeners are used to hearing me ramble on about nonsense and trust me, they, uh, they, uh, 
they're immune to it. No, but you sounded great. You were awesome. But I do hope, I hope people listen to your show. Um, where, where can they find you? Well, listen, I, I, I know I, kind of, I mentioned my buddy Randall a few times. I want to make, make it clear. Randall's show, Bourbon Real Talk, is incredible. Uh, and and uh, the, the pattern that he has found himself in has allowed people to see him as a person. So if you get a chance, I'd check out Bourbon Real Talk. Of course, my show is available on ESPN every, uh, every week. Uh, well, we took a bit of a hiatus uh, because we're working on distribution for the Prideful Goat. Uh, speaking of which, you can find that uh, at Sealbox. You can also find it at Bourbon Real, uh, not Bourbon Real Talk, but uh, Bourbon Outfitters. And uh, yeah, I'll, we'll be getting to Delaware and some of the Northeast soon. We're working on it. Um, it, it takes time, but we're, we're working on it. But thank you so much for having me on the show. No, thank you for coming. Um, it means a lot. I appreciate it. All right, Cast Chasers. Well, that was Christopher Hart. Uh, check him out. Find him on Instagram. You can uh, listen to his uh, show. He's got some great interviews. He's just uh, he's a fantastic guy and uh, interesting, smart, knows what he's talking about. Anyway, search for him. Find him. Follow him. Listen to him. Cast Chasers, thank you so much again, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Just remember, it's not about finding the perfect dram. It's all in the chase. Thank you.